Erev Tov, good evening. We are in our, uh, our Rambam class tonight. Tonight's shiur is dedicated for the Refuah Shlema of Dr. Arthur Platt, Chaim Ozer Benea, as well as for the Refuah Shlema of Rachel Seven's father, Shalom Ben Miriam, and the Havdil Elef of the Havdanod, so to separate completely different. It's also dedicated to the memory of Mr. Jeb Levy, who was a big pioneer of Sephardic life and Jewish life in general in Los Angeles, whose askara is tonight and tomorrow. Rish Nishama should have an Aliyan Gan Eden. Bezad Hashem We're continuing in the Rambam's introduction to the Mishneh Torah, the oral transmission of the Jewish law. And whereas last week we spoke about Rabbi Huda ben Tabai, the colleague of Rabbi Shimon ben Shatach, tonight we're going to speak about Rabbi Shimon ben Shatach. Now, if you look here in your PDF, the page number at the top of the page would say 862, maybe 861, depending which column you're looking at. It's on page 3 of your PDF. And you'll notice the Nikud here is Shimon ben Shetach. And the truth is that many people say Shimon ben Shetach, many say Shimon ben Shetach. From what I have seen, many Sephardim refer to him as Rabbi Shimon ben Shetach. Many Ashkenazim, Rabbi Shimon ben Shetach. I have no idea if that's actually the dividing line between the two, but Rabbi Shimon ben Shetach. Who was Rabbi Shimon ben Shetach? So I already set the stage for you last week because he lives in the exact same generation as Rabbi Yehuda ben Tabai. Migdolei Chachmei Yisrael bimei Yanai HaMelech. He was from the giants of the sages of Israel in the generation of King Yanai. So this is before the destruction of the second Ben Mikdash. Kvar nechleku tanaim mi mishnei hachamim ele haya nesi asanhedrin umimihem shimesh av betadin. And the hachamim already argued among themselves which of these two, Rabbi Yudah ben Tabai, Rabbi Shemon Shatach, Zev, if you want to sit right here, you'll be, if you want, up to you. Rabbi Yudah ben Tabai, Rabbi Shimon ben Shatach, which of them was the Nasi, was the prince of the Sanhedrin, and which one was the head of Betadin? And as we mentioned there, that there's two conflicting opinions based on two different stories. One talks about Maaseh Alexandria, and one talks about Maaseh Ashkenon. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. Haya Achiha Shel Hamalka Shlom he was the queen, the brother of the queen, Yanai's wife, Shlom Tzion Hamalka, Eshet Yanai HaMelech. Shlom Tzion, if I'm not mistaken, it seems to me in the world of academia history, they referred to her as Alexandra, but don't hold me to it. Bechokhmato HaGedona, Uvashpato Al HaMelech VaMalka, Hechzirat HaTorah LiYoshna. With his influence and his wisdom, Shimon ben Shatach was able to influence the king and the queen and bring the Torah back to where it was supposed to be. Because the kings of the Chashmonaim who were Tzedokim really left the Jewish people a country that was void of Torah, at least Torah, the way our Chachamim studied it. Because they persecuted the Pirushim, the Pharisees, and the sages of Israel, as 
mentioned in Masechet Kiddushin. And this spilled over also towards Rabbi Yehuda ben Tabai in Rabbi Shimon ben Shatach. They were also persecuted by the Tzedoki king. Yehuda ben Tabai is the one who runs away to Alexandria and Egypt, and we mentioned that that might also be the same story of Rabbi Yosha ben Perachia. And Rabbi Shimon ben Shatach, he didn't run away to Alexandria. He stayed put in Eretz Israel, and he hid there, so he was in hiding, but he stayed in Eretz Israel and didn't run away. Give me a reason, perhaps, why he didn't feel the need to run away all the way to Alexandria. Okay, well, it was safer because that's where Rabbi David Tabai went to. The king couldn't reach there. Why might the life of Rabbi Shimon ben Shatach be a little safer in Israel than that of his colleagues? Very good. He's what we call Mekorav Lamalchut. He was related to the king. So yes, he had to hide. It could be even, and I'm just throwing out there, it could be that he was hiding because politically it wasn't a good idea to be around. But he maybe wasn't as afraid as his colleagues who actually paid for their life by being Chachamim. And here begins the story of the life of Rabbi Shimon Mechadach. I've recommended it to you many, many, many times, and I'll do it again. I don't sign off on everything that he says, but Rabbi Dr. Benny Lau has terrific works in Hebrew called Chachamim, in English called Our Sages, in which he takes apart this whole period of history of our Chachamim and deals with them in depth. And so I think that it's fitting to explore a little bit about what actually is happening in the life of Rabbi Shimon Mechadach. Let me read you a story. The story is not found in your book here. I'll read you a translation, a Hebrew translation of the Aramaic. This is originally found in Masechet Berachot on page 48a. Yanai the king and his wife, the queen, were sitting together to eat. Because Yanai killed the sages, he had nobody who was able to say the Birkat Amazon before them. Understand the story here. Yanai HaMelech and his wife are sitting down to eat dinner. And they're in a dilemma. Because even though they persecute the Chachamim, he persecutes the Chachamim, and he massacres the sage of Israel, he literally kills them. Now he's in a dilemma. Once you kill all the Jews who know how to do Berkat HaMazon, now you're stuck eating dinner and there's no one to say Berkat HaMazon for you. Oh, very good. You find here a classical case of a religious person. What do I mean religious? In the negative sense, the derogatory sense. A religious person is one who doesn't mind killing the Chachamim, but he's stuck because he needs to do Berkana Mazon. 
is not a person who lives in the realm of halakha, it's a person who lives in the realm of religiosity. And there's a time to explore that later. We'll get to Brachot, page 48a in our Agadada class, hopefully before we all reach 120. Amar la leishto, he told his wife, Mi avilanu ishi varech lanu. Who's going to find us a man who can come and say Berkat Amazon for us? Amar Malka, the queen says, He shavali, swear to me, She'im avilcha ish, that if I bring you someone, that you will not harm him. So I've got somebody. But if I bring him here, I have to have your word that you won't kill him. Nishba. So he swears, he won't touch him. He Shimon ben So she pulls out of hiding her brother, Rabbi Shimon ben Shata. Oh, ta-da, here he is. Rabbi Shimon ben Shata comes, what does he do? Hoshivo ben he comes and sits down. Right between the king and the queen. Okay, listen, the girsa here in the Bavli is that the king told him, sit between us. It's different in the Yerushalmi. We'll get there in a moment. Amal HaMelech, the king turns to Shimon ben Jatach and says, Look how much kavod, look how much honor I give you. Anal Shimon, Rabbi Shimon ben Jatach responds, you don't give me honor. It's the Torah that gives me honor. And he quotes a proof text in Mishneh. He says to him, I see. You come out of hiding. I don't kill you. I even give you honor. And I see that you're not willing to accept to be subservient to me. You're not willing to accept my my rulership over you. Okay, meaning you're being a chutzpan. You're not treating me with the respect the king deserves. It's a brother-in-law at the end of the day. They hand him a cup of wine so that he can do Berkan Amazon. That's why they brought him out of hiding, right? To do Berkan Amazon. He says, Shimon says, what do you want me to do with this cup of wine? What do you want me to bless? You want me to say, and I can't say Baruch Shachalnu Mishelo. I can't say, Blessed is he whose food we ate. You didn't give me any food to eat. So what should I say? I said, Blessed is Yanai and his friends who had food to eat. What do you want me to do with this cup of wine? Shata Otakos. So he just drinks the cup of wine. And they bring him a second glass of wine, and on that cup of wine he does Berkat Amazon. Now this story in the Gemara is brought in the context of how much food does a person have to eat in order to join your zimun. And here we're trying to show that Rabbi Shimon ben Shatach believed that drinking a glass of wine with people who ate food means that this third person is able to recite Berkat Amazon as part of your zimun. So that's why he drinks the first cup. But this entire story is, is it's, a, it's a very unusual story. It almost comes off like a parody of sorts. Like someone is trying to, to play a, there's something going on here between, there's tension between Rabbi Shimon ben Shetach and, uh, and Yanai HaMelech. Now in the Babylonian Talmud you will find the re- attitude towards King Yanai is very negative. It's a very negative attitude towards King Yanai. But when you look at the Yerushalmi Talmud, the story seems a little different. 
And I think that a lot of that has to do with the story that you are about to read on the top of page 863. I would love to sit down with you in the realm of Agadah and discuss with you again kings that care about Brakan Amazon but don't care about murder. It's an interesting conversation to have. No, uh, in the PDF that's attached to the Zoom invitation. So here we have an Agadata, page 863. Ha'agadah the Agadah tells us. Al-sibat Why was the king so angry at Rabbi Shimon ben Shatach in the first place? So here we have a story. Three hundred nezirim. Nazarites. What are nezirim? They don't drink wine. They don't eat meat. They don't. Uh, they don't cut their hair. These kind of a nazir. Three hundred nezirim came to Jerusalem in the days of Rabbi Shimon ben Shatach. Now, why are they coming to Jerusalem? What's the last step of being a nazir? They have to offer a koban. The problem with being a nazir is it's very expensive to end your nazirut. In order to offer a korban, every nazir has to bring three kobanot. So imagine the type of person who is so, let's call them spiritually inclined, who is floating in the air. And they, I want to abstain from the world and I, want to, I don't want to drink wine. These type of people normally are not men of very many means. And now there's a problem. They come to Yerushalayim. They want to end their nizirut. We are supposed to try to help them end their nizirut. But very often, these people can't even afford the korbanot, the sacrifices they need to offer in order to end their nizirut. So Rabbi Shimon ben Shatach takes it upon himself. There's two ways to end your nizirut. Either you can offer your sacrifices, three sacrifices, that's a heavy price. Or... You can go to the head of the Bedadin, or the Kohen Gadol, or the Nasi, whoever there is, the Tamikham, and they could annul your vow. How do they do that? Potchim lo petach. Is my father on the call? Yeah, Abba Takan? Maybe he's under the microphone. What is potchim lo petach? Say, say. Right. So you're able, what they're doing is not annulling the vow. They're going back to when you made the vow. And they're saying, if you would have known what you're getting yourself into, you would have never made this vow in the first place. That's called potchim lo petach. It's a legal mechanism to get you uh, out of your contract. Eh? Well, annulling a marriage is, is uh, they try to use a similar type of, of logic, yes. But they, they, so the idea here is we're not annulling anything, really. What we're doing is we're retroactively uh, abolishing it. It never happened in the first place. I mean, had you known, had, would you have known that you needed to offer this much money? Or would you have known that then you would have never become a Nazir in the first place, right? Oh, that's right. In that case, you are not a Nazir at all, and you could go home without offering a sacrifice. But what if they answer you, but I didn't know, and I, I, intend to, I, I decided to be a Nazir, and I knew the consequences. Then what can we do for him? The only thing we can do for him is 
to let him offer his kolbanot. What if you can't afford those kolbanot? What? You fundraise, exactly right. Who do you fundraise from? And here, if you really wanted to sit at length at a different time and discuss about the government, and people have these conversations surrounding government benefits and health insurance and aid to the homeless and all that. This is a very important conversation here to have because let's read what happens. Rabbi Shimon ben Shatach was able to find a heter for 150 of the 300. That's half. That he was able to absolve them from their obligations of offering three sacrifices. So how many kolbanot does he, do they have to offer in total? If they have 300 nazirim and each one has to offer three, how many total sacrifices? 900. Yes? So Shimon ben Shadrach comes to Yanai HaMelech and he tells him, Yesh kan shlosh mod nezirim. There are 300 nezirim here. Vehem tzachim teshamaot korbanot. And they need 900 korbanot. Ten ata mechitza. Vani edag lemachatit ashaniya. You pay for half the korbanot. How many is that? 450 korbanot. I'll already take care of the other half. Let's split it 50-50. Guys, what's happening here? How many korbanot really need to be offered at the end of the day? Not 900. 150 people were absolved from their nizirut by Rabbi Shimon ben Shatach. So how many sacrifices are left? It's actually half. It's actually half. So he really only needs korbanot for 150 nizirim, which comes out to 450 korbanot. But he's telling Yanai HaMelech, hey, we need... He wants him to pay 100% by telling him that we'll split it 50-50. You understand what's going on here? So, they have less so, so it's okay to lie for the detail? So, you know, you have to deal with the details here of this question of, of did they come at once? Is it over the lifetime of Rishon Mubachadak? It's a good question. Uh, but let's read it as a mass story just to make sense now. Uh, Rachel, you said that you'll let a lie for the sake of a mitzvah. This is exactly what we're going to get at right now. The king gives him from his own money 450 korbanot. Here's my half. Somebody comes to report to the king that Shimon ben Shatach, he played a trick on you. We were in the Ben Mikdash. We saw what he did. He only offered 450 korbanot total. He didn't offer 900 korbanot. And the king got very angry. Now you can guess. I have no proof to this. Who works in the Benamikdash that is friends with King Yanai and an enemy of Rabbi Shimon ben Shaddai? That's Dokim. Very good. That's Dokim. That's Dokim. The Kohanim mainly are still those who are at war with the Pharisees. Here they have a chance to sell out Rabbi Shimon ben Shaddai to King Yanai. Shama Shimon ben Shaddai uvarach. Rabbi Shimon ben Shatach heard this and he ran away. Now the Agadab explains in the Yerushalmi, this is the reason why Rabbi Shimon ben Shatach ran away. He was hiding, not because of some war that Yanai HaMelech had with the Chachamim, but a war that Yanai HaMelech wanted to wage against him. He had a score to settle. 
you cheated me, I'm after you. So what does Rabbi Shimon Bachelor do? He goes underground, he hides. Until the day of rage passes. Now, you have an abridged version of the story here. I'd like to read to you the whole story in the Agadah, what the Yerushalmi follows up with this. Yes. Well, this is at a time when the Ben Mikdash is out of the hands of the Chachamim, almost. So there's great tension. Who owns the Ben Mikdash? Who runs the Ben Mikdash? Who? So the Tzidokim are not people who don't know Halakha. Tzidokim are people who do Halakha in a very different way than us. Now it could be, it could be that because so much of the Kobanot are one biblical and two, you learn it one generation after the next. It could be that they were for the most part doing the things the right way, except for, except for every once in a while they would get in a fight. So for example, there's a famous song that they sing in uh, a Zionist youth song that eventually, and you, you uh, draw water from the wells of salvation. What's going on there? Every Sukkot, our rabbis used to offer water on the Mizbeh, exactly. We'd go draw water, bring to the Bede Mikdash. The Tzedokim believed that we were absolute lunatics. Who offers water to the creator of the world? And so this was one of those points of contention between the Tzedokim and the Chachamim. And that's when we started singing those songs, is when we stormed the Temple Mount, essentially, and asserted our right over the Temple Mount. This was part of an ongoing war between the sages and the Tzedokim. And that's why that song... Maybe not that tune, right? But those words have such significance when Jewish people celebrate. It's like our victory song. It's we, we got to the Bet HaMikdash and we were, I don't think anyone understands why we're singing about water when it comes to a Jewish celebration. This is part of that. Let's look here in the Talmud Yerushalmi. So you have an abridged version in front of you. This is a copy of the story we just read about Shimon ben Shaddach and King Yenai and not having somebody to say Berkat Amazon, except it's slightly different, and I want you to help me pick up on the differences. So listen to the story, but help me pick up on the differences. I'm going to read it again in a Hebrew translation. Lachazman, a while after this story. People, officers of the Persian government came to visit a government meeting with King Yanai. Now you have to remember, like I mentioned to you last time, that King Yanai, the Hashemonaim, they had done tremendous things for this Jewish state's finances. They had made strategic alliances with other nations. They had built an economy. They were very good at what they did. And part of this you see, when the Persians come to visit the Jewish people, I mean, we are now a somebody on the map. There are delegates from another country that come to sit with our king. So these Persian delegates, they come to sit. After they're sitting and eating, Amulo, they tell King Yanai, We remember that there was an elderly man. Maybe not elderly. We know that Zaken doesn't necessarily refer to age, but rather to wisdom. Very good. Zaken, our rabbis explain, is a notrikon. It's a It means one who's acquired wisdom. You can have a very old man who's a ksil, a fool, and you can have a very young man who is a chacham. You can have, so a zaken doesn't necessarily refer to age, but to wisdom. There was a wise man who was here. Omer bilot chokhmah lefanen, when he gave us a lot of joy, 
because he used to share words of wisdom before us. Yeah. So he tells him what happened. What does he tell him? What's, what does it mean what happened? What's the story? The Kobanot. The whole story about the Nazir and the sacrifices. So he tells him, listen, this guy, yeah, he was a very wise man, but he cheated me. He, he Good for nothing. Go, go and bring him. We understand you have a personal fight with him, but we really enjoyed his company last night. Come and bring him. Shalach, King Yanai sent a message to Shimon Bajadach. Viftichon, he promised him that he will not hurt him. And he came and he sat himself down between the king and the queen. So let's say a few things here so far that are different. The reason why Shimon ben Shatach flees in the first story, in the Babylonian version of the story, is because of unwarranted persecution, unexplainable persecution of King Yanai towards the Chachamim. In the Yerushalmi version, what is the background for the persecution of Yanai towards the Chachamim? It's the fact that Shimon ben Shatach had cheated him in his eyes. The second, in the first story, the Babylonian edition, there, King Yanai and his wife Shlom Tzion were sitting at a table eating bread with who? With this Persian del... Uh, sorry, was eating, eating bread. And they didn't have someone to say Berkat Amazon. So they called someone to say Berkat Amazon. In the Yerushalmi version of this story, that's not exactly what happens. Rather, it's the Persian delegates who they want to hear the wisdom of this man that they met last time. And they ask King Yanai to summon him. Third difference. In the first story, in the Babylonian Talmud, who went to go bring King Yenai? Uh, who went to go bring Shimon Shadach? Shlom Tzion, the sister. In this story, who goes to bring him? Yenai himself sends him a sign, his ring, whatever it is, to tell him, don't worry, you'll be safe. And last but not least, when Shimon ben Shadach comes to the meal, in the first story, in the Babylonian Talmud, the king sits him down between him and his wife. In this story, it's a little more presumptuous. Yanai, uh, Yanai is sitting there with his wife. By the way, this wife may not be Shalom Tzion the queen. We don't know that. Her name is not mentioned here. You could assume that Yanai had more than one wife. This might not be the sister. Here in this story, Shimon Menchadach decides to sit himself down between the two. The king turns to Shimon Menchadach and says, Lama shikartani. Why did you lie to me? Why did you cheat me? I didn't lie to you. You donated in your money, and I donated with my Torah. We split this 50-50. There were 300 people who had to offer sacrifices. You covered half of them. But I have a different way to cover half. I absolved them of their sacrifice in the first place. So I donated my wisdom, you donated your money. Shekatuv, it already says, Betzel Chokhmah, Betzel Kasef, that that person who is in the, has the shade of, of uh, wisdom has also money, meaning wisdom has value to it. What you couldn't do, Yanai, with your wisdom, because you don't, you're not a Tamil Chacham, I was able to do with my Torah. You needed to pay money in order to get them out of their, their half. I didn't cheat you. Amar 
Yanai wants to put this to the test. Yeah, you didn't cheat me? Aslama barakta. Why'd you run away? If you did the right thing, why are you hiding? Meaning, if you did the right thing, so be a man, come and tell me exactly what you did. Why are you hiding? The fact that you're hiding shows me that you cheated me. Anano, he says, Shamati shata I heard that you're angry. I lied. And I fulfilled myself the words of the prophet Yeshayahu, who says, this is very uh, fitting for the last year. Chavi kimat rega ad yavor zaham. Maybe raga, I have to see that. Go. Wasn't it Yechizkel? Yechizkel. This one is Yeshayahu, but it could be that I'm wrong. You could look it up. Yeshayahu 26, 20. It sounds like uh, when, you hit, when the two, you know, uh, friends of Daniel... I have a Tanakh here. Do so you mind bringing it to me? Could be both. Is Yishayahu. Yishayahu writes here, Lech ami bo Go my nation, go into your rooms. Uzgor delatecha, close your doors, ba'adecha. Chavi kimat rega, as I said the first time, right? Adi avorzam. Go and hide momentarily until the anger will pass. Kina Adonai, yotzei mimkomo, because HaKadosh Baruch is coming out of his abode. Lifkod avon yoshev ha'aretz alav. Okay, that's really a different... Uh, so here, he says, I was just doing what the Navi suggested I do. When there's anger coming, I went to hide for a little bit. Not because I'm guilty, I was taking advice from the Prophet. Yanai continues the Pasuk that we mentioned before. The Pasuk from Kohelet, the one who has wisdom, has money. He continues the and wisdom gives a person life. Meaning, you're right, you did the right thing. He understands. So Yanai at this point is appeased. He understands why uh, Shimon ben Shadach did what he did about the Nazirim. He also understands why he went to hide and it didn't prove his guilt. My question to you now is why are you sitting between me and my wife? <laughs> what are you doing here? <laughs> now at this point, it seems like there's some kind of back and forth. Now this back and forth, unlike the previous story in the Babylonian Talmud, which happens among family members. There's a king, there's a queen, there's a brother-in-law, a sister-in-law. Here you're dealing with a whole different story. This is a public spectacle in front of a delegation from another country. He says, what are you doing sitting between me and my wife? He quotes the book of Ben Sirah. That you involve yourself in the Torah, ultimately you will sit between honorable people. I mean, I, I'm sitting between honorable people because of my Torah again. Amar Yanai Lameshartim. Yanai turns to his servants and he says, Please give him a cup of wine so he can say, Rabbi Shimon Ben Shatach begins, he holds the cup and he says, let us recite a blessing over the food that Yanai and his friends ate. 
Again, similar to what he said before. When you're still rebelling against me, says King Yenai, even now in front of me, you're sitting to my wife, you cheated me in the Koba note, now you're also in front of everybody, you're mocking me in public. He said, what should I say? I should say the food that I did not eat? What do you want me to say? Bring him food, let him eat. He ate his food. Let us recite blessings over the food that we ate. This story is very similar to the story in the Babylonian Talmud with crucial differences. And one day when you and I have time to sit properly and learn through Agadot and get through all the details of this, why are they different and to think through those things. But for right now, this story is a little different. This time, the king is not a massacre of Chachamim who is looking for some religious experience at Berkat Amazon. This is not some group of Jews that don't have someone to say Berkat Amazon from them. Here you find King Yanai knows Psukim. He's referring to verses in the Torah. He's an educated man in this conversation. Here, Rabbi Shimon ben Shatach comes more as a guest of honor. It's the Persian delegates who miss him. They miss his company. They miss his wisdom. He's coming here to the table not as some guy who knows how to say Berkat Amazon. But as a chacham, as a zaken, as a wise man. There's a book I have at home. I don't remember. It's a collection of essays by different professors. I don't remember which professor wrote this article, but it's a tragic article discussing the image of the chacham, of the sage, in North African Jewish literature over the last couple hundred of years. Where you find that the early literature... The Chacham was a wise man. He had solutions for everything. He was, understood the way the world worked. He understood people. He understood psychology. He understood Torah. He understood wisdom. He always had good advice to give. And as the generations go on, the last episodes that you find in North African writing among these poets and these authors of books, of novels, is the Chacham is some fool. He's some idiot. He's only good for the Berak Knesset. He knows how to sing a little bit the Torah, but he has no advice for the world. He has no insight into people. He knows nothing about anything. And you can trace the decline of the image of the Chacham in the eyes of the people. And it's, it's tragic to us, by the way, to see that that's what people think of Chachamim. And it could be that Chachamim, some of them, have rightfully owned this, this the job description. But here you find two different takes. One, Yanai serves purely as a religious, ritualistic person who says, And here they want him for the wisdom that he brings to the table. Now that we have these stories under our belt, let's keep reading here. Page 863. The second paragraph in 863. By tonight, most likely, like I told you last week, we're just going to discuss Rabbi Shimon Bachata. I doubt we'll get a chance to get anywhere else aside from this. As the leader of the Sanhedrin, he was at bitter war with the majority of the members of the Sanhedrin who were tzedokim. So whereas he is a Pharisee, a, uh, one of the Pirushim, he's a Chacham, he's the head of the Sanhedrin, according to this version of the story. He is at war with almost all the rest of the members of the Sanhedrin, who are tzedokim. They're Sadducees. And he really waged war 
until he was able to remove all of the tzedukim out of the Sanhedrin and replace them with Chachamim. The story is found in Megillat Tanit. Megillat Tanit records the following story. Megillat Tanit writes the following. Be'asrin v'tamnaya le'tevet. On the 28th day of Tevet, yitivat knasta al-dina. The Sanhedrin was sitting in judgment. Because there were tzedokim in the Sanhedrin, that King Yenai and Queen Shlom Tzion were sitting there, and there was not one Israel, not one Israelite, not one Jewish person in the Sanhedrin, aside from Rabbi Shimon Ben Shatach. Notice here, Megillat Ta'anit uses the term Yisrael to apply only to the Chachamim, and it calls those who are Tzedokim not Yisrael, not part of the Jewish people. Very interesting here. And they were asking questions in Halakha, and not one of the members of the Sanhedrin were able to bring a proof text for their Halakhic stances from the text of the Torah. Shimon ben Shatach, Shimon ben Shatach tells them, in order to be a member of the Sanhedrin, you mustn't be able to prove your stances based on verses in the Torah. You can't just sit here and say whatever you want. You sit here and you have to be able to give sources from the Torah as to why you're saying what you're saying. That's what happened. There was a practical issue of halakha between them. Nobody was able to provide a source from the Torah for their stance, except from one of the tzedokim, who mifatpet, he was mumbling, and he said, Tell his man, give me some time. Tomorrow I'll have for you a source from the Torah that I'm right. No problem, take your time. Go check it out. Go bring me a source. He went and sat down with himself. And he was unable to come up with any answer any source from the Torah that backed up his halachic position. The next day he was so embarrassed to come to the Sanhedrin, and because this man was so embarrassed he couldn't show his face in the Sanhedrin, the next day there was a vacant seat in the Sanhedrin, and Rabbi Shimon ben Shatach took one of his students and replaced that Dayan on the Sanhedrin with one of his students. And he said, you're not allowed to have less than 71 in the Sanhedrin. And that's why I had to add my student, because you can't sit down here without 71. And that's what he did every single day. He would pose a halachic question to one of the Sadducee Chachamim and bring me an answer. They would leave. They were so embarrassed to come. They didn't come back, and he replaced them one at a time. And on the day that all the last Tzedukim were taken out of the Sanhedrin, and instead they were replaced by Chachamim of the Jewish people, it became a day of rejoicing. It was a holiday in the Jewish people. That we celebrated the victory of the Jewish people over the Sanhedrin. Megillat Hanit, by the way, records a number of holidays, fasts and all things that... Most people probably don't even know. There are hundreds of Jewish holidays that many of you have probably never heard of. And they're recorded in Megillah Ta'anit.
Josephus, we, we replaced all the Tzedakim, and we finally gained back our Sanhedrin. So we ousted them and replaced the Havdil to make a difference a thousand times. That's when either party in the United States will gain the House or the Senate. Or the, this is one of those. We got it. Josephus records that Alexandria, Shlomzion, at this point in history, really starts showing favoritism towards the Purushim, and she allows them back into the leadership of the Jewish government. Some even say that it was Yanai himself who had left instructions to Shlomzion that she should return the Jewish government back towards the direction of the Purushim. I want to read you a crazy story. Ready for a crazy story? Let's do it. We suffer from all the same human conditions as any other humans. That's right. It's sometimes even worse. Now, there's a story here from Masechet Sanhedrin about the actual episodes in the Sanhedrin and how those who were afraid to stand up against Yanai, the angel Gabriel came at the request of Shimon Benchatach and killed them. I'm not getting into that story. Let's, let's hear... We already spoke last week about the conspiring witnesses and the mistake of Yehudah ben Tabai in judgment that he executed uh, one of those witnesses when there weren't two. We really discussed that last week. And let's look down here at the bottom. Bottom of 864. So the last four sentences. Nonetheless, even though Rabbi Shimon ben Shatach was so careful not to, not to do things as quick, perhaps, as Yehudah ben Tabai, when he saw that there was a pressing matter, that it was crucial, it was a turning point in Jewish history. If he wouldn't take care of this issue now, it was a raging issue. If he wouldn't step up to the plate and deal with it swiftly, it would become a problem. And this particular problem, he was up against the war to remove sorcery from the Jewish people. Remove sorcery from the Jewish people, that might sound like something, hocus pocus, that happened a long time ago. I would argue that, that too many Jewish people that you know fall into the category of sorcerers. They believe in all kinds of magical Judaisms that don't make any sense in the realm of uh, Torah and mitzvot. They're not logical. More than they're not logical, they're violations of the Torah itself and the, the oneness of Hashem that we believe in. The magical thinking is off the charts. It's something you almost can't go somewhere. You, everywhere you go, you'll bump into it. Yeah. And therefore, there was an episode. He didn't hesitate in one day in Ashkelon to hang, execute by hanging, 80 witches in one day. 80 witches? What's the story here? So to read this story better than reading it in its original source is to read it the way Chacham Ovadia Yosef tells. Chacham Yosef was a master storyteller. Aside from being a posek and a chacham, he was a master storyteller. And one of the most enjoyable things in the world is to listen to Chacham Yosef tell stories. 
he, the, the drama and the emotion and the words that he uses and the attitude and the way he reads into the stories, is something very special, very unique. Chaumadi Yosef wrote a book that was intended for the lay person, and that's Anaf Etzavot. We've quoted it many times here. It's in your PDF. It's on page 6 as the title page, but I'm looking at page 7. If you look at me on page 7, when Chaumadi Yosef discusses Rabbi Shimon ben Shatach, he tells the following story. So it should say at the top of the page, Lamed Hay. It's seven of your PDF. You see that? It's in the PDF. In the PDF. Page seven. No, it's the same PDF. You said page Yeah. It says in bold words, Shimon ben Shatach. Ita it's written in the Jerusalem Talmud. When Shimon ben Shatach was appointed as the Nasi. So again, we keep seeing him jumping back and forth, whether he was the Nasi or he was the head of the Betadin. That's all going to depend on which stance you have, depending on the stories we tell. When Shimon ben Shetach was appointed as a Nasi, they told him that there were 80 witches. A witch, a sorcerer, a magician, I don't know what you call it. A witch that were hiding out in the cave, in a cave in Ashkelon. Immediately on a rainy day, it was a rainy day that day, Rabbi Shimon ben Shetach stood up he gathered together 80 of his students who were strong people, the ones who worked out between learning Torah. And he took them with him to this cave of witches in Ashkelon. Both my mother and my wife don't like when I read such stories, but what can I do? It's this one is this here. And he gave every one of these, what? You're here, I know you're here. <laughs> Every one of these uh, men, a jug. Yeah, a brand new one. And a clean folded talit. Let's skip a talit. Let's say a dry clean outfit. Yeah, nice clothing, clean clothing inside. Remember that it's a rainy day? And they walked to the cave with the jugs on top of their head. Imagine these pots, they're holding them on top of their head. Why? What's what weather outside? It's a rainy day. It is their umbrellas. And before he entered the cave on his own, you can imagine how brave you have to be to walk into a cave of 80 witches alone on a rainy day. Hollywood has set us up for already there's a soundtrack going through your mind here. He told the young men, when you hear me chirp, whistle once, go put on your, the new clothing and the drugs. And when you hear me whistle a second time, enter all of you together into the cave, all at once. And when all of you enter the cave, immediately, Come and you pick up, each one of you grab a witch in your hand and pick her up off the ground. You couldn't do this with yeshiva students today. 
But these were the yeshiva students then. And the reason you're lifting them off the ground is so that they cannot use their sorcery against you. Because this is the way that magic works, sorcery works. Once this person is no longer touching the earth, they lose all their power of kishuv. Well, who says they don't believe in the sorcery? They believe in the power of sorcery. It's forbidden according to the Torah. Uh, this would be a fascinating conversation to have. Maybe I'll invite Rabbi Yosef Zarnigian to give us a shiur once on the Jewish stances of sorcery. Is it really all just an illusion and our Torah prohibits us from involving ourselves in that? Is there some kind of force in the world? For sure the Mekubalim have their own take on this. You're reading this Gemara like any other Agarata, okay? You can't, you have to read it like that and say, there are things you have to read, but Baruch is a good word. They have to disarm the witches by lifting them off the ground. When he enters the cave, Amrulo, they said to him, They look at this man, he enters the cave and they say, Wow, how did you come here dry? You're wearing dry clothes. It's raining cats and dogs outside. I walked in between the raindrops till I got here. That's how he answered them. Okay, man who walks between the raindrops. What did you come to do here? What are you looking for in this cave in Ashkelon? He told them, I'm a sorcerer. I'm a... Sorcerer, right? That's a, a male witch. I, I'm also in the same thing as you. And I came to study from you and I came to teach you some of my tricks also. I came to exchange some of our magic with each other. Show me what you know how to do and I'll show you what I know how to do. So one of them said, whatever whispering she whispered, hocus pocus she said, and she immediately popped up bread for everybody, everybody had magical bread. The second witch started mumbling and whispering, and cooked meat popped up in front of her. The next one started whispering, and food came for everybody. The next one said, and she made wine appear out of nowhere. So now they just set the whole table now with food. What do you know how to do? Now we showed you what we can do. What do you know how to do? I'm a speed dater. I'm a matchmaker par excellence. I can just like this whistle and out of nowhere 80 young men are going to show up here dry just like me walking between the raindrops. They will be happy with you. And you will be happy with them. This is Shidduch Central for witches over here. We're, we're setting this up right now. He whistled once. The guys outside quickly they changed clothes into dry clothing. 
צפצף פעם שנית, he whistled the second time, ונכנסו כולם כאחד אל המערה, and the young men, they stormed the cave, והביאו, אמר כל אחד מכם יטול את בת זוגו, and he said, young men, each one of you please select your bride, whichever one you want, she's yours. טענו אותן והביאו אותן לבית הדין. They uprooted them from the ground and they carried them on their shoulders kicking and screaming to the בית הדין. דנו את דינן, they judged them וגזרו עליהן דין מוות and they sentenced them to death. כמו שנאמר, like it says in the Torah, מחשבה לא תחיה, that you're not allowed to allow a witch to live, ותלו אותן. And they hung them. And on one day, on one day, the Rabbi Shimon ben Shatach, even though he said, be slow to judge the witnesses and to examine the witnesses, in one day, he executed 80 witches. Because he felt that was what needed to be done to put an end to sorcery in the Jewish people. Now Rabbi Yosef Lopez, last week, brought up an interesting point, that this story always bothered him. Rabbi Yosef, are you with us right now? Yes. Do you mind sharing again why this story bothered you? Uh, aside from the witches and the, uh, the part of the execution. You, you made a point last week. Legally, it would seem problematic for him to be able to put to death this amount of people in one day with no trial. No, it was, it's very, uh, not, it doesn't seem like justice. It seems vindictive rather than just an injustice. Right. And that's exactly why, what Rabbi Yosef mentions, exactly why some Chachamim used this story to prove that he wasn't the head of the Bedadin, that he was the Nasi. He was, he was the prince, and because of that, he had the right and executive order to execute people without going through the due process that other people had to go through in order to put an end to a problem in the Jewish people. Yeah, that's, that's one of the answers that are given to this question here. Really, I didn't want to get stuck on the witches, but there's a follow-up to the story which is very tragic. And there again are two different editions. Don't close your PDF yet because I'm going to need that in front of you. That's the Babylonian Talmud. I want to show you something. Let's do this together. The bottom of 864. There's two different versions of the story, but I don't want to get into that right now. The Talmud Yerushalmi has this story beginning with the following words. Shimon ben Shatach hayu yadav chamumot. Rabbi Shimon ben Shatach's hands were very hot they were very used to executing people. And there was a group of clowns, of jokesters. And they said, Let's come up with false testimony against the son of Rabbi Shimon ben Shatach, and we'll get him killed. So these clowns decided to pull the ultimate prank. Not funny on Rabbi Shimon ben Shadach and have his son killed. I want to read to you though, not the version that's found in the Yerushalmi, but the version that's found in the Bavli. So look here on page 864, the last line on the page. 
the Bavli connects this story of conspiring witnesses to the story of the witches in Ashkelon. The relatives of these witches, top of page 865, they wanted to take revenge. And these clowns, who are these clowns? The Babylonian Talmud identifies them as the relatives of the witches that were executed in Ashkelon. They wanted to take revenge on Rabbi Shimon ben Shatach. So it doesn't necessarily have to be that there's a, disparate, uh, a discrepancy between the Yerushalmi and the Bavli. Rather that the Bavli is filling in a detail the Yerushalmi left out. So they come and they basically get the son of Rabbi Shimon ben Shatach sentenced to death. His son. They're taking revenge on the son of Shimon ben Shatach to punish the father for what he did to their relatives. Yeah? An eye for an eye. Once the Sanhedrin sentenced him to death, and he was on his way to his death, they felt really bad about what they had done. They realize now that there's a consequence to their action. By the way, I saw in one of the Innocence Project files a story about a lady who said about her boyfriend that he killed somebody, she testified against him. She was offered a deal for some kind of drug possession issue she had by bearing false testimony on her boyfriend. It took them 22 years to get him out of prison after she already came forward and said that she lied. Because why should we believe you now? We believe you the first time. Either we believe you the first time, or we don't believe you this time. What really you should do is this lady's a liar, throw all her testimony out of court. But that means he gets out of prison also. Years, years, you're talking about this man lost his whole life in prison because of his girlfriend in college who, who wanted to testify on him to get out of a drug possession charge. So don't think that these kind of stories only happened 2,000 years ago. Ma'asim b'chol yom, every single day. By the way, let's ask you a halakha question. Are plea deals permitted in the halakha? Can a person make a deal with the prosecution to get out of something they did wrong by bringing testimony against somebody else, state's witnesses? Here in L.A., here in LA, there was a rabbi who brought testimony on his buddy in Israel, putting the chief rabbi of Israel in prison because both of them did a crime together. Are these things allowed? That's a great question. You have to deal with those questions on your own. Maybe we'll have a shiur once in civil law on how these things work. You know, understand that once you offer a person an incentive for testifying, by the very definition, you're corrupting their testimony. Because I have something you're using as leverage over me. And you're telling me that if I say X, Y, and Z, I'll be able to get out of it. So why wouldn't I say X, Y, and Z? You also want me to say X, Y, and Z. Is that really a testimony? Now, half the legal system is built on this. I don't want to get involved right now. 
Uvao vahodu shi'idu edu sheker. They come to the Sanhedrin and say, we lied, we, we, we're guilty. We tried executing this man. Now you should remember, they are very, very lucky that who is sitting in the Sanhedrin? Tzedukim or Chachamim? The Chachamim, why are they lucky? What did we study last week on Monday, uh, Tuesday? The Chachamim understand the Torah to say that when do you execute the conspiring witnesses? Only when... Succeed. When they actually execute the man. The tzedokim, their attitude is you execute the man even if they did not succeed. They did not now, Am I correct? Is that really the. Is that what we said last week? Or is it the other way around? No, the other way around. The, the tzedokim were those who believe, yes, that a person has to be executed in order to be, to, to, to kill the executing, the conspiring witnesses. Whereas Chachamim understand that the moment they bear, bore testimony, they're also guilty of execution. So at this point, actually, we're very curious to know who are they up against. If they're up against the tzedokim and the Sanhedrin, then maybe they'll be okay. But if they're up against the Chachamim, they're, by admission, they're going to be executed themselves. What happened? His father, who was presiding over this case, wanted to reverse the decision of execution. His son says, Abba, father, if you really want to bring salvation to the Jewish people, if you want to bring lasting change to the Jewish people, the literal words, you can look up the Rashi over there, use me as an example. Kill me so we can set the record straight that we're serious about the law in this country. Now the Gemara doesn't actually conclude with what happens in the story. You could use your imagination, whether he got him out of it or he listened to his son. I, this is already beyond me. I, it's hard for me to dabble in these things. But the story ends in a very tragic way. As if it wasn't tragic enough. That's right. I want to read to you one story. A last story for today. This story is found in the Yerushalmi, Bava Metziah. Shimon ben Shatach, let me read to you again the Hebrew translation. Shimon ben Shatach haya megadel kutna. Shimon ben Shatach has a profession, he used to grow cotton. Cotton. Amru lo talmidav, his student says, Rebi, harfe mizeh ve'anu niktenecha chamor v'lo tztarek l'torach rabbe. Rabbi, please, it's too much, you're working in the cotton fields. Let us buy you a donkey, and you won't have to work so hard. 
What is a donkey? A donkey of yesterday is like an 18-wheeler truck of today. Meaning, we'll get you a donkey, you'll rent them out, that's what you'll do. You'll start a business that has to do with moving, then you won't have to do the heavy work of working in a cotton field. Anybody work in a cotton field here? Yeah? I think my father worked in a cotton field, my mother worked in a cotton field. It cut your head, you bleed. You bleed, also, you remember bleeding? Rabbi, we don't want you to do this job anymore, we'll get you a donkey. By the way, here, you see already this idea that Chachamim mentioned numerous places in the Talmud. There's different ways to do tzedakah for, for Talmudic Chamim. So, to show that one clings to Talmudic Chamim, a rabbi one should cling to the Micham. The Rambam rules as an halakha in the laws of Deod. The one has to cling to the Chachamim and to their ways. The Rambam mentions a few ways. One is to marry into Talmudic Chamim's family. So to try to get your children, if possible, and in today's world we don't really choose much, to get our children to marry into the There's the ability of, of using the wealth that you have for Tamadei Khamim, to buy them things, to do things for them. There's also the option of helping them in their parnasah. So in the days of yesterday, very often, Chachamim would be added into people's companies as silent uh, investors, silent partners. They would sit there, and the other person, listen, I'm going to do all the business, and you're going to get the... The percent that whatever we put in for you there. Or? But not exactly. Let me give you a better example. Imagine a chacham has a certain amount of money. What does he know about managing money? So in the olden days, in the times of Talmud, there were people who would say, Rabbi, give me your money. I'll invest it for you into a business. I'll do all the work. So he, the guy doesn't lose money, meaning the money was invested by the chacham. But the one who's actually making the money make money, and is giving to the Chacham, this is the Chachamim say, He's using, he's doing his business on behalf of the Tamil Chacham. So here you find this similar relationship that exists between the students of Rabbi Shimon Machadat and him. They're trying to help him get a better, a better profession. They went and they found some kind of, let's translate him as a gangster. Some uh, Arab gangster, Ishmaeli, and they, they buy the donkey from him. And they said to Rabbi Shimon Shatach, You'll never have to work again a day in your life. Why? What happened? You just bought me a donkey. What's so special about this donkey? We bought you a donkey from this gangster. But he keeps all his money in diamonds, like a good mafia boss. He has all his money in diamonds. And he hung one of his diamonds off of the neck of his donkey to keep it safe, and he sold it to us that way. Now we got a donkey and a diamond. Shal Shimon, Rabbi Shimon Machadach asks, The man who sold you the donkey, he intended to give you the diamond? No, he didn't. Now here they can start being religious. Ta'ut goy is a mistake. Go give him back his diamond right now. What do you think? Shimon ben Shatach who barbar. Shimon ben Shatach is a barbarian. Or some kind of, you think I'm also a gangster? You think I'm going to make money off of somebody else's mistake? Today, today, mamash, before I came to the shiu. Today. Somebody, part of the Shiviti family called this up and asked, they ordered something from Walmart. Whatever it was, something, a few dollars. 
And instead, Walmart sent them a rice cooker. Something expensive. And now they want to know, they called Walmart, but Walmart wasn't so clear. But this happened to me once in my life also. I ordered something also from Walmart, believe it or not. They sent the wrong thing. But Walmart claimed that once they made the mistake, there's nothing they could do with them. It's just they write it off as part of it's a mistake. We don't want to have to pay shipping for the few dollars we sent you. We don't, you keep it and we'll send you a replacement item. But they wanted, they didn't feel right keeping something they didn't pay for. And they wanted to bring it to the store, but the store is a different department than the online department. But this is a real, you think I'm a, I'm a crook? You think I'm going to keep something that doesn't belong to me? I don't want it. They can start telling him stories. Maybe HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted you to find the diamond. Maybe it's Hashem's blessing to you. Maybe, what? No, I want to make Parnasak clean. I don't want to be a crook. There's another version of the story in Devarim Rabbah, in the Midrash of Devarim, that ends off with the following, the following ending of the story. What was the Arab gangster's reaction to Rabbi Shimon ben Shatach bringing back the diamond? Birkat Adonai Hita Hashir. In Mishle it says, the blessing of Hashem is what will make you rich. Not being a crook, not stealing money. The blessing of Hashem is what will make you rich. Says the Midrash, Amar lehem Rabbi Shimon ben Shatach. Rabbi Shimon ben Shatach tells his students, Chamor lakakhti. Even tova lo lakakhti. I bought a donkey, I didn't buy a diamond. Halach v'ichzira lo yishmeli. He went and he gave back this diamond to that Yishmeli, he's an Arab. V'kara alav oto Yishmeli, and that Yishmeli said back to Rabbi Shimon ben Shatach, Baruch Adonai Elohei Shimon ben Shatach. Blessed is Hashem, the God of Shimon ben Shatach. See, this was Rabbi Shimon ben Shatach. It was a tremendous Kiddush Hashem. You know, very often there are, it's mutar, it's permitted, it's this, according to halakha, it's not stealing. Maybe according to halakha, something is not stealing. I'm not saying about this case. That's what I told today. I said, but, regarding stealing, you're okay. What about the desecration of Hashem's name? Whenever someone tells me, you know, my boss was Jewish, I always say, Hashem Ishmael, I don't want to hear the story. Tell me how he abused you, tell me how he stole from you, tell me how he didn't pay you on time. And whenever they tell me a story, no, he was the best person ever took care of me, gave me extra vacation days. I feel like a weight got off my chest. It should be that when people look at Jewish people, they do business with Jewish people, they do anything they, Baruch Adonai Elohei Israel, blessed is Hashem, who is the God of these people. That's the experience, that's what it should be. That's what we, the, the environment that we're supposed to create around our Torah. It's because of this type of righteous leadership that knew when to be strong, but also knew to be righteous at the same time. That the author of this encyclopedia ends this off with the following sentences. If you look in the page 865, in the second paragraph, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten lines down, the last word on the line says Shanim. Shanim ele, these years nisharu bezichon ha'am are remembered in the minds of the consciousness and the memory of Israel. Kishanim hamusharot biyoter betugumat abayit hashani. These were the happiest years of the second temple period for the Jewish people. Shalom v'shalva sharu ba'aretz misaviv v'abrachayta shoriyah b'chol maaseh dehem. Peace was found externally and internally in the land of Israel, by the way. I think for the first time in many years in Jewish history, we have felt what it's like to be attacked 
outside of the borders of Israel as well as inside of the borders of Israel. Yeah, no. There was blessing everywhere. There was rain. Everything was productive. There was bounty. Everything was, was fertile. Our rabbis say in Vaikarabah and also in Masechet Tanit about those years. In the days of Shimon ben Shatach. This is another variation of Shlom Tzion Hamalka. It would rain on Friday nights, which is a sign of blessing. That the, the grains and the, the wheat became like clayot. What are clayot? Like kidneys. Like kidneys. Huge. Not really like kidneys? No. They became big. They were bountiful. And the barley were like the pits of olives. They were big. They were plump. And the lentils, they look like coins, gold coins. And the Chachamim gathered from all of this bounty and they inherited to the next generation. And I would like to say, Yonatan Halevi, I might be wrong. I would like to say that this generation, the values of this generation, the righteousness of this generation, the ability to know when to wage war and when to be silent, when to be sarcastic, and when to be serious, when to take on government, and when to help government, when to know to fight with family, and sometimes to try to make peace with family. All of these things brought about the blessing of this era. And when I hear Chachamim say, and the Chachamim collected from this bounty and inherited to the generations after, what I hear saying is not that we have plump barley kernels that are left over from that time, but there are kernels of wisdom, there are gold coins, there are things that maybe we just see wheat, barley, lentils. But this generation of Chachamim in this time period of history, they left us a legacy that our Chachamim used its wisdom, its discernment, its judgment for all future generations, our generation included. And when we started learning here, the introduction of the Rambam, and I told you, we are going to be studying the Rambam differently than if we were just studying Rambam. We are not studying the Mishneh Torah to get through the legal side of the Mishneh Torah. We are studying the Mishneh Torah as a book that replaces the books of Musa we studied in the past. And so yes, you keep bringing your Rav Kapach, I'm wondering when we're going to get to the next page. But we're taking apart every rabbi, every story, every legacy, in order so that we can learn the wisdom that needs to be learned for our generation and for future generations. Bezalat Hashem, Hashem should bless us to return to a time in Amisal where there's peace outside of Israel, peace inside of Israel, peace between the Jews and the Ishmaelim who will be able to say, Baruch Adonai Elohei Yisrael. We should merit to see a time which is good for us, both spiritually, physically, on all fronts, it should be good for Am Yisrael, for the whole world. And Bezad Hashem, I will see you here this week and next year. Bezad Hashem.